Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Asian Tales podcast. Today's guest is Miss Lan Ho. She is an entrepreneur babe based in Chicago. And today we discuss about launching two businesses, how her Vietnamese culture influenced her businesses, and how she really championed herself to follow her dreams and to get stuff done. Hi, Lan. Welcome onto the podcast. Thanks so much for uh, coming on the show. Of course. Anything for you. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm just dandy, you know, just balancing a million gazillion things, but I'm happy to be here. So what sort of things are you balancing? What do you got going on? <sighs> Girl, so much. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but as you know, I'm starting two businesses, two startups, all at the same time. I just got done wrapping up a pageant um, with grant applications. I mean, the list goes on and on. I'm trying to be a homeowner. Um, everything so damn you got stuff going on <laughs> lots yes. of balancing yes. going yes yeah i definitely want to talk about your companies that you're launching but before we get into that i was hoping you could do a little introduction on yourself so who are you where are you from what's your ethnicity all of the the goods <laughs> absolutely so yeah my name is lan ho i originally from I guess born in California raised in St. Louis and now I live in Chicago so I've been a little bit all over the place um, a little bit about myself I am a pharmacist I graduated from pharmacy school two years ago worked as a traditional pharmacist for two years and I've recently taken a huge transition you know leap in my life and have taken a total 1000% bet on myself and I'm just creating and starting all of these businesses um, that I'm super excited about and I feel so uh, lucky and blessed to be able to transition smoothly into something that I love. And I think that's kind of my core message um, just overall. So I hope, you know, we'll talk about that, but that's pretty yeah, much yeah, the yeah. gist of it. <laughs> so I actually, I didn't realize you were born in California and then moved over to St. Louis. I thought you were born in St. Louis, moved to Chicago. No, I was born in Oakland, California, actually. Um, hey. So the Bay Area, yeah. So my parents met in Oakland. Uh, both were, you know, refugees, met in Oakland, California, and had the four of us, so I have three other siblings, and moved to St. Louis when I was about five. Um, so pretty much raised in St. Louis. I don't really remember a lot about California, but yeah. So did you just say both of your parents were refugees? Yes, they both uh, Vietnamese. They escaped the war literally on a boat. Uh, I don't actually I don't know if my mom what refugee camp she was in. I know my dad was in a refugee camp in Malaysia mm -hmm. um, for a few years and then they met each other while in Oakland, California. So wow. Yep. Immigrant parents. Um, so I'm a first gen. So did they ever have any any issues coming over as refugees? Like were they faced with like uh, racism or, or people saying you're refugees, you don't deserve to be here, something like that? Yeah, I would. You know what? I honestly have 
actually never asked them those exact questions. Um, I would assume so. I definitely think they faced a number of barriers and a number of obstacles while, you know, transitioning over here to the United States. Um, and I know it wasn't pretty for them when, you know, when I was younger. So, or even, you know, before that. So that's a good question. I feel like anytime that we do talk about it, it's always like this super emotional conversation that doesn't go anywhere. Uh, mm -hmm. just cause it's obviously an emotional conversation and topic, but yeah, mm -hmm. those are good questions that I feel like as like where I am right now in my life, I would love to know. And I would love to understand. Um, but yeah, we just haven't really had those specific, you know, conversations. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What, what about you growing up? Did you ever find that you were faced with challenges being Vietnamese, parents of immigrants, first generation? Did you ever have difficulties with that or, or face any challenges with that? Yeah, not directly. I wouldn't say that I directly um, faced any challenges because I am Vietnamese, um, at least to my understanding. Uh, yeah, to be completely honest, I know a lot of people that I've talked to definitely had those challenges and, 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 you know, definitely faced some major criticism and obstacles. But I think I, I mean, I'd say I was pretty blessed and at least I, maybe oblivious. I have no idea, but I just really didn't, you know, uh, kind of recognize those direct things. So. Yeah, well, that's that's good. I, I mean, you never want to wish that upon anyone. So I'm glad to right. know that you had had a really positive experience about that. So tell me, I, I'm not very familiar with Vietnamese culture. Could you tell me a little bit about it and educate me on it? Yeah, I've learned so much actually about my culture in the last year or so, so much to the point where I'm starting a business around it. <laughs> but so um, my business is called Fat Milk. It's a Vietnamese coffee uh, brand. And I think the one thing that I really love um, about this company and the reason what motivated me to start this company is to showcase and story tell um, the, you know, the culture of, of Vietnamese people. So what I'm really trying to emphasize, not only to make sure that Vietnamese people benefit from the culture or the coffee industry, excuse me, overall, but more so, I think it's such a unique culture where we come from so much you know, we come from a war-stricken country. There's so much um, obstacles to overcome, so much resilience in our blood um, and in our culture that that's something that I want to showcase and being able to um, tell those stories and, you know, all the great things about it through a cup of coffee. So um, yeah, that's what I'm excited about. That sounds really awesome. You said that was in like the last year. So what was the defining moment that made you decide, you know what, my culture is badass and I want to share it and I want to do it this way. What, what was that defining moment for you? You know, I think a lot of us who come from a very unique and different culture compared to a lot of our friends, at least for me, I grew up in a predominantly uh, white area. Um, not, I didn't have a lot of Asian friends to be completely honest. And so I think for me, it wasn't like a specific defining moment. It was more so, uh, suppressing my culture and not embracing it. So I think as I grew up and I realized how beautiful it is to understand who you really are and to take advantage of that, you know, um, that's when I really started to embrace 
a lot of things about me, like my natural eye color, my natural hair, and um, just what what I can identify with. So um, it was just a progress a progressive time, I would say, to kind of get to where I am today. And I'm like one thousand percent embracing who I am and where I came from and telling those stories. So I think it takes time for people. I don't necessarily think it's kind of like, at least for me, you know, being raised in the, in the Midwest. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just time. (laughs) So do you think that, that, how do I phrase this? You said you were, you grew up with, with not many Asian friends and you weren't really surrounded by many other Asians and, and it took you some time to really embrace that. Do you think that you wish or you would have preferred growing up with more Asian influence in your life or more individuals surrounding you, I suppose, that were Asian? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say some of my closest, the people that I connect with the most, mm-hmm. um, Mm, well, let me see. <laughs> Answer that question. It's okay. I, I'm not. I, I think I'm. I'm so blessed the way that I was grew up, and you know, mm-hmm. I learned to embrace so many different cultures. I really wouldn't want it one way or the other. I think my life would have been different um, mm-hmm. if I were surrounded by more Asian friends. I had more Asian people around me embrace more Asian cultures. I have friends in the West Coast where you know, going to an all Asian high school is totally normal for them. And mm-hmm. for me, visiting them and seeing so many Asian people was such a, kind of such like a, a culture shock. shock you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't necessarily know how my life would be different. Maybe I would have embraced my culture from the get go. And, you know, mm-hmm. maybe earlier on, I could see that happening. Um, but learning to embrace my culture and celebrate it was something that I did on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, without really the influences of any, you know, anyone or my surroundings at all. It was, mm-hmm. you know, learning to love yourself, learning to love where you're, who you are and where you come from, and then mm-hmm. choosing to celebrate that. So I think, um, and that's why I feel so strongly about it and, you know, starting a business around it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to ask one more question about your, your parents. So you said that they were refugees. You were born of immigrants. Do, did your parents, when they moved out to the Midwest, were they trying to surround you by Asian people, surround you by white people? Were they trying to separate you from, from their history, trying to move away from that or, or what? You know, my understanding um, is they moved to the Midwest for opportunities. Um, So where they were, they, it was my aunt. She, you know, branched off. My dad is the oldest of like seven. My mom's the 10th child of, you know, so I have a huge, huge family. And so, you know, my dad being the oldest, I think he felt this huge responsibility to kind of support his family. And so I think, um, you know, with his parents not speaking a lick of English or anything, their children, you know, really had to seek ways to survive. And my aunt, who is the, the second oldest on my dad's side, she just branched out, went to the Midwest, saw opportunities uh, that Asian people could, you know, bring their craft to the Midwest and really uh, make a business out of it. And, and so mm-hmm. she came here first, actually, and told everyone else to come. So everyone always <laughs> asked on, me, guys. why did you move to St. Louis? <laughs> right. Anyone who like asked me in St. Louis, like, where are you from? And I said, oh, I have family in California. Like, why did you move here? You know, 
So I just blame yeah. my aunt. No, I'm just <laughs> like it's all my aunt's fault. I promise. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. So th- I'm getting a better understanding about you, but now I want to talk more about your businesses. So you at it, you have three businesses going. Two of them are based on your Vietnamese culture, and one of them is based on your pharmaceutical background. Is this correct? Am I getting this right? So. The third one, were you referring to this? Or what's the third one? The third one is um, your beauty stuff that you're uh-huh. working And then the coffee. The coffee and then y- Yip. So Yip and the beauty thing is the same. Oh, oh, I, okay. Sorry. I thought Yip was a separate thing. <laughs> no, yeah, okay. no, it's the same thing. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I started two companies, um, all at the same time, actually around the same time. It wasn't Mm. like it was on the same day, but, um, yeah, so I started fat milk last year in 2019. This is something that I've been wanting to do forever. And when I say I started, that's when I actually incorporated it, but I conceptualized this idea for years. Um, just being in higher education for 10 years, you know, I, am a huge coffee fanatic, coffee obsessed, just everything coffee, even the word coffee excites me, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I've just wanted to do it for so long. And I saw an opportunity, you can talk to any, you know, Vietnamese person and, you know, Cafe Sida coffee is pretty much in their vocabulary. Um, mm-hmm. They pretty much have had it in their life or know about it, or just it's so engraved, ingrained in the culture but um so if it it sorry let me interject here if it took you a while to to really embrace your culture later on in your adult life you really started to embrace it how did you was coffee still a part of your life growing up was that still something that was in in the background in your family household or was that something later on in your adulthood that you were like oh damn Vietnamese coffee my culture like I want to learn more about it now right yeah, I mean, Vietnamese culture, I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> Vietnamese coffee has been something that I've had and enjoyed for, for years. You know, it's been something in our house for as long as I know. Um, the point of actually making a business out of it and bringing it, creating a platform and sharing it with the world mm-hmm. is something that I started to uh, kind of really take action on as I've you know gotten older. But mm-hmm. coffee um, in general has just always been a huge part of my life. And Vietnamese coffee is something that's always been on like, kind mm-hmm. of like the back burner, but you know, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, I mean, I've always enjoyed it. I just never really saw it as an opportunity. So I, I follow your social media for Fat Milk, actually. And I saw you post a little tidbit about the water buffalo is the logo. Could you explain that a little bit more? Like, how did you choose the logo? What's the significance? Yada, yada. So I actually have a partner um, and he is a creative genius. And he is actually <laughs> the one that created the logo and incorporated the water buffalo um, into the brand. And I just thought it was genius. Um, you know, the water buffalo is something that is an icon in agricultural practices in Vietnam. It's and I wrote a, you know, like a little script about this, but it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty much a farmer's like most valuable possession mm-hmm. um, in the agricultural world because everything in Vietnam, it's done 
still very traditional. They don't, you know, a lot of farmers don't have these big machineries. Um, it's not sophisticated. They still pick things by hand, plant things by hand, do everything. It's a lot of manual labor. Mm -hmm. um, so if a farmer has a water buffalo, that's kind of like, that's their machine, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, mm -hmm. it's the, the water buffalo is helping. It's like an extra pair of hands and they're tough and they're strong and they're committed and they're, you know, and they're loyal to their farmers. So um, it just made sense. And is it almost like the water buffalo could be like a part of your family since it's a living being and it's working on the farm and it's helping bring bring things to the table? <laughs> Absolutely. And that's how I wrote it. I was just, you know, the water buffalo is a part of the family. It's treated as a part of the family and valued mm -hmm. as a member of the family. So yeah, and you know, that's kind of what we wanted to bring to fat milk is that, you know, we we're creating this very family oriented, uh, community driven mm -hmm. atmosphere. And it's, you know, it's a lot about bringing fat milk into your home as a part of your family and enjoying it uh, with your family and your friends. And it's all about community. So. Mm -hmm. And was it really important for you to have a partner from Vietnam? Like, was this in, in the works from the beginning or it's something you decided later on? Yeah. Um, in the, you know, I decided this definitely later on. So this partnership, um, was probably, you know, it's actually a very recent change in the business. When I first started mm -hmm. fat milk, you know, I was kind of a one woman show and, um, I had no idea what I was doing, but <laughs> I think the most, <laughs> the most important thing for me was to make sure that Vietnamese people benefit from mm -hmm. this transaction. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I mean, I've said and this many how does, times. How would that work? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, because Vietnam is the second exporter of Robusta beans in the world and people enjoy it and they purchase it, but they have no idea that it's from Vietnam and Vietnam doesn't get that platform on an international stage. They don't get the, the recognition that, that they deserve. So, you know, it's important for me to make sure that everyone knows that we mm -hmm. are, these beans are imported specifically from local farmers in Vietnam and they mm -hmm. are, those local farmers are being acknowledged for that. I feel like when you acknowledge and, um, you know, acknowledge them, that creates opportunities, right? Um, yeah, 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 so. absolutely. So does your, does your shop have, or you have a shop, is the shop? What's going on? How, how, how can listeners get some fat milk coffee? Absolutely. So yeah, so we are actually finalizing the packaging for the retail bags. It's actually milk cartons. Um, okay. But yeah, it's going to be 12 ounce whole bean or ground bean bags. Um, that's going to launch in the next couple of weeks. So people can purchase that online um, through our website, you know, fatmilk.com. Um, and we are starting to push it out through social media uh, forums pretty soon. But yeah, and then after that, we will have our brick and mortar, which is currently um, under negotiations right now. Yay, that is so exciting. I so not, not only are you launching your coffee shop and you're so close to it being available to everyone, but on the other hand, you're also launching Yip. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. So what is Yip? <laughs> so Yip, um, it literally means to help in Vietnamese. So it's spelled G-I-U-P and, you know, it's like to, yep, it's like to help and to serve, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of where the name, you know, is derived from. But 
Yip is all about tackling um, climate change, and it's mm-hmm. also a creative way of me um, integrating my pharmacy degree, my pharmacy expertise and knowledge into a consumer product, which is something mm-hmm. that I love. It's like consumer products, consumer brands, and kind of like creating a brand mm-hmm. and a strategy around all of that. So that's super exciting. So if you are launching two businesses, but you have your pharmaceutical degree, how are you going to balance that or you're no longer looking at pharmaceuticals and you're just going to do businesswoman what's what's going on with that you spent all this time in school so now what (laughs) I know you know it's crazy because I feel like a lot of people get this misconception this is a very untraditional route that I'm I'm Mm -hmm. I'm doing so this is something that I want to uh to really make people understand is you know absolutely the investment was definitely committed to pharmacy school in terms Mm -hmm. of effort, time, money. Um, It is not cheap and it is not easy to be a pharmacist. It's a doctorate's degree, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people get this misconception what pharmacy really is, because when you think of pharmacy, you think of your, you know, neighborhood, uh, you know, your neighborhood pharmacy Mm -hmm. that is on every corner. Totally. I used to go to a place called Owens, a little, little tiny shop, little, little neighborhood pharmacy. <laughs> exactly. And your first, you know, perception of a pharmacist is the person behind the corner. They're very, ex- uh, not behind the corner, behind the, the counter. They're very accessible. Mm-hmm. They, you know, dispense drugs and that's kind of it. That's all you really see. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what you don't see, I think what you don't see, especially and, you know, people going, graduating from pharmacy school is that there's so many other things that you can do with your degree. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously majority of people go into community pharmacy, but there's a number of people who are in, you know, clinical slash hospital pharmacy that a lot of people go into fellowships and end up going into like big pharma, mm-hmm. the big industries. And then there's a small niche of us who go into, you know, the startup world and do our own thing. So would you say you got your pharmaceutical degree because of that Asian stereotype model minority. You have to become a doctor. You have to go to graduate school. You have to do all of this. And would you say that that was a big influence for you going in to get your doctorates? I, you have three degrees, correct? Yes. What, what? Hold on. Hold on, smarty pants. First off, first off, let's hear about your degrees. What do you have your degrees in? And then secondly, do you think that your Asian background influenced you getting these? Yeah. So <laughs> I have a bachelor's um, in, in chemistry with a concentration in forensic science. So I thought I was going to be a criminal lawyer. Ooh, you were going to solve murder life. mysteries. <laughs> I know. Um, but honestly, that changed. Um, I have my master's in finance, uh, which is totally random, but it's mm-hmm. actually becoming very beneficial yeah. um, now. And then I have my doctorate in pharmacy. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so so when you were in your bachelor's studies, you thought you were going to go into the, the crime field, basically, forensic sciences, and then you decided that wasn't for me. I'm going to go on to get a finance degree to do what? What was your thought between those two degrees? Yeah, I think the one thing during my undergraduate studies was I knew deep down, no matter what, I wanted to go into business. Like, I wanted to be 
an entrepreneur. I wanted to have my own companies. I wanted to create, I wanted to take the lead um, in whatever it is that I do. So I knew I wanted to do something business related and that's what motivated me to go into something that would help me, uh, you know, help me in the future when it comes to, you know, starting my own thing or, or going off on my own. So that's kind of where, you know, that idea came into place. I think after my master's, I had, you know, some cultural pressures to tell me, you know, pharmacy, pharmacy, pharmacy. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't really tell a lot of people this, but yeah, I, I would definitely say, um, I succumbed to family pressures and that's what ultimately led me to go to another four years of higher <laughs> education and get my uh, pharmacy degree. So if you don't mind sharing, what sort of pressures were put on you? Because I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are also also face these same challenges when they're doing their studies. There's a lot of um, parental pressure to do certain careers later on in life or to achieve a certain status. So, so what did you experience? Yeah, I think, you know, when you're young, you don't necessarily know what you want to do, but you probably have a good idea of what you don't want to do. And the thing <laughs> is, is, you know, unless you have a very clear idea of what you want to do, who you want to become, what's your next steps, like you actually have a plan, like mm -hmm. a day-to-day -day plan, month to month, like one year, two year, three year plan down the road. It's mm -hmm. very easy to be influenced by, um, you know, traditional Asian parents who ultimately want the best for their kids, right? Like mm -hmm. all of the pressures that I faced and I know a lot of other Asian, um, you know, first gen Amer or Asian Americans face is, mm -hmm. you know, they have the pressures of their parents who want their children to be successful and to have a secure job and to have a stable job because they went through so much, right? Mm -hmm. um, and because they've gone through all of those obstacles and many of them are obviously refugees and came here uh, for a better life. One, you feel the pressure to satisfy that, to make sure that, you know, your parents didn't go through all of that for mm -hmm. no reason. It wasn't for a total waste. And two, if you don't have a clear plan um, of what exactly you want to do, you will eventually succumb to those pressures because that is a, that is, it's a good plan. You know, yeah, it's, it's a secure yeah. plan. It's a stable plan. It's not like they're for, you know, trying to tell you to do whatever they're telling you to do something that's not going anywhere. Healthcare isn't going anywhere. Engineering yeah, isn't going anywhere. Um, and it's a, it's a well-paying job. So I feel like I'm, I was definitely influenced by that. Do you think there's a difference between the pressures immigrant parents give to their first generation children versus uh, uh, parents who are first generation giving to their second generation kids? Do you think there's a difference in that, that type of pressure? Yeah, I, I think there's a huge difference. Um, I think the things that we put on our children, not that I have any, <laughs> but you know, are the things that you experience personally and what you see as the better alternative, right? So yeah, absolutely. For, for my parents, you know, the, the, alter the better alternative was, you know, to go to pharmacy school or to go to med school, law school or engineering school or whatever the case is. For me, I think when I have children and don't quote me on this, I don't know, because I don't have any kids. Yet, <laughs> okay. but I, always, <laughs> I always tell myself that I wouldn't push my kids to go 
to school. Like obviously go to high school, whatever, get your mm -hmm. basic learning. But I would probably encourage my kids to go out into the world and get real life experiences and, mm -hmm. you know, you know, meet, take risk and fail, you know, fail and learn to pick yourself back up. Like I wouldn't, I don't think I would kind of push college on my kids unless mm -hmm. they really wanted to go to college or I wouldn't push, you know, higher education on them. I think there's value in having children just go out there and experience, um, you know, the, what you will eventually experience after you graduate, you know, it's not going anywhere. Yeah, totally. Totally. So what sort of advice would you, would you give to any of our listeners right now that are sort of in a similar position? They've, they've either gone into their degree or they've completed it and they've, They've got this pressure, but they have this feeling in the back of their minds and in their hearts that they really want to do something different outside of their their pressure, their their internal family pressure. What sort of advice would you give? I would tell them that at some point in your life, you will reach a breaking point. Um, at some point, you will be so fed up with what you're doing that for most people, they will eventually pursue their dreams and their passions or whatever it is that, that they want. My advice would be, if you're going to do it anyway, do it now, you know, um, <laughs> go out and do it, babes. <laughs> if you're going to do it, you know, do it now, do it while you can enjoy it even more. Um, but you know, for me, I, I would say there it's, it's timing everyone. There's a specific time in everyone's life that mm. it's going to make the most sense. There's not going to be a perfect time, but it's going to make the most sense for you. Um, either that just be, you know, you feel like you put in enough time at your day job to where you feel comfortable walking away and you really gave it a chance. And now you've understood that this is 1 million percent what you don't want to do, but you just have to kind of trust, um, mm -hmm. that you have to feel comfortable enough to walk away from it. And so that's what I would say. I would, I would just be, I would tell people to be really cognizant of where you are in your life and then be brave enough to walk away when you feel like you've given it your all and now you're mm -hmm. just done. And would that be the same advice you'd give to someone who is already in their career? Because I know you were a pharmacist for some time and then I feel like you applied that same advice to while you were in the middle of working as a pharmacist, you were just like, you know what, this is not what I want to do. Yeah. I think since the day I started pharmacy school, <laughs> I think I was always brainstorming and you can ask my pharmacy friends. They were like, this girl should not be here, but, uh, just trying to find a way to get out early on. <laughs> exactly. Like I was just always thinking of anything and everything of like, how do I pivot pharmacy to doing something that I love? You know, um, I just, I think everyone knew I wasn't meant for traditional pharmacy. So I think if you, this isn't what you want to do and you feel like you're doing it for all the wrong reasons, but you want to stick it out because that's mm -hmm. just who you are. Um, I would say continue to do so, but always be aware, always be alert, I'll continue to wonder, question, um, ask yourself, what about this? What about, you know, what about that? What can I do uh, with my degree and, and all of these different angles? I would continue to encourage people to always seek those answers mm -hmm. and ask those questions because eventually you will come to a point in your life where, you, you know, you've asked enough questions, you've been curious, uh, you know, about enough things that you just go all in. Mm -hmm. on that one thing that makes the most sense. Yeah, you've been asking the questions and now it's time to actually do it. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah. So to to wrap up today's interview, I kind of wanted to end on a a fun note. Could you tell us a little bit about your favorite Vietnamese food culture aspect? Not the coffee. We know you love your coffee. (laughs) Just something fun to share with our listeners. Yeah, there's a lot of French influences in Vietnamese food. Really? Um, Yeah, so I'm not sure, you know, but the French colonized Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And so they left a lot of French, um, you know, influences on Vietnamese culture and food. So, I mean, one of my favorite foods I would have to say is like the banh mi, which is a baguette. I'm sure you've had it, but it's like the baguette oh, yeah. with the radishes and all the meats. And like, that's one of like my go-tos. Like when I went to Vietnam uh, earlier this year, that was like, if I saw Ban Mi on the street or literally in a gas station, I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, I need to try it. Like I need to have all the Ban Mi's. Um, and yeah, I just couldn't get enough of it. So I would definitely say that's like one of my favorite Vietnamese foods. It's Do you like have a favorite on the go. Do you have a favorite Ban Mi spot in Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't. I usually just go like if you go to Uptown, which is like Vietnamese area. There's mm. there's quite a few. I mean, um, I don't know. I just kind of like try them all out. Unfortunately, it's pretty far away from where I live, so I don't get to go up there that often. But there is a my one of my favorite banh mi places in St. Louis, um, and it's called the Banh Mi Shop. They actually just recently opened, and yeah, it's like all banh mi's, and it's it's super good. So. Well, you heard it, listeners. Go to St. Louis to the Banh Mi shop to get your best Banh Mi ever. Um, Thanks so much, Lan, for coming on today. Where can our listeners find more of you, more of your businesses, more of anything? Yeah. Yeah, the best place to reach me or find me, contact me, DM me, whatever, would just be on social media, on Instagram. Uh, You can find me on She Is This. Um, with two eyes in this or on at fat milk with two eyes in fat milk. <laughs> so I'm usually pretty good about my phone and my social media. So awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. And if our listeners want to catch more of Lan, we do have a Patreon exclusive mini episode. So you can catch us over there. Thank you, Lan. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Make sure to catch our videos on YouTube and Patreon. Patreon does have a bonus mini episode with Miss Lan, and we talk about her experience in her recent beauty pageant, which is very exciting. And we do a fun little Q&A at the end. If you want to connect more with us, you can catch us over on Twitter at The Asian Tales or on Instagram at The Asian Tales Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.